Popcorn Poops is brought to you by Audible.com. Please visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial of their subscription service. Audible is the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. Audible.com is offering a free audiobook download to listeners of Popcorn Poops along with a 30-day trial of their services. This week we're recommending The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson, narrated by Ray Porter. To download this or another audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for your free audiobook. We are the Popcorn Poops. Hey everyone, and welcome to Popcorn Poops, the best married couple movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program on the internet. My name is Dustin. And I'm Jessica. This month, our theme is bad horror movies, and my pick for this week's episode is Luis Yosa's 1997 film, Anaconda. If you are syncing this recording up to the movie, go ahead and start the film, and then press pause as soon as the Columbia Pictures vanity card completely fades to black. It's time to start the movie. Sinkers, press play at the beep after the countdown. Ready? Three, two, one. And we're off. This has been a really good month. This is the last of our bad horror movies. And uh, I, I had to choose this. this was, it was a t- kind of a toss-up for me between this and uh, Return of the Living Dead. I can say that now. But... Uh, because Return of the Living Dead is a movie that's very, very near and dear to my heart, and it absolutely counts as a bad horror movie. But uh, I didn't want to pick another 80s movie, (laughs) because the theme of the month was not bad 80s horror movies. It was just bad horror movies. But the best bad horror movies are from the 80s. I can't disagree with that. I cannot disagree with that. However... Uh, I did want to throw something else in there so we weren't, you know, kind of stuck. I in mean, this I one... could just do a podcast that was just horror movies from the 80s, like a, oh, whole, yeah, I definitely a whole podcast could. and I definitely like could. keep it up for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. We, oh, so there there are certainly podcasts like that out there, but uh, we're, we're not one of them. And, and the, the theme we chose, bad horror movies. So I wanted to throw something a little bit different in there. This is from the 90s. Uh, and this is Anaconda, kind of a, a beloved cult classic of This bad. is a horrible movie. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't it seen this so since... When, wait, when's this from 97? 97. I must have had a slumber party in 1997. Oh, yes, of course. Because that was the one and only time that I had seen this movie in my life until this last week when I watched it, I think, three times now. Wow. Um, but so sometime in 1997, me and my girlfriends had our pajama party and we watched Anaconda and... We, even at that age, all we did was just laugh at it hysterically, and there were, like, running jokes for a couple of years about about an anaconda coming to get us or something. It was, I mean, we were, like, I don't know how old I was. See, even at that young. age, see, even at that, at that age, you got the spirit of ten, this thing. Ten. ten years old. You you got the, the, the spirit of this thing, or what you should have gotten out of this. This was completely unironically a favorite in my household growing up. Uh, <laughs> like, seri- yes, like, seriously? Uh, my mother was a huge fan of this movie she loves this movie I don't know if she's seen it and you know recently but it was one of the things that we we saw in the theaters and we bought it on VHS as soon as it came out and it was just on a uh, very frequent rotation heavy rotation in our house um, because it's uh it's a horror movie that the whole family can enjoy <laughs> kind of 
it's not all that horrific. No, it uh, is it's not. It's not that scary. In fact, it's pretty silly. Uh, it's not terribly gruesome. And the way it's gruesome is not realistic enough to warrant kind of uh, the, the the parental guidance, uh, mm. you know, the strict parental guidance as suggested by the MPAA. And this is a PG-13 movie. Dumbed down from an R, actually. Uh, and there are there there is evidence there, of... There was an R before? It was an R-rated Was it movie. just because of the language? I think it was just because the language and the mm. MPAA uh, came to the producers and said, listen, if you cut the cut some of the language out of this, you can get a PG-13 because it's not that violent. It's not yeah. that gory. So... So we got a few f bombs yes. dubbed over. Yes, and it, it's pretty obvious they the, the ADR is pretty bad on them, and the mouths still clearly are saying the f word. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's that's what you get uh, it, with Anaconda. Is a yeah, dumbed no, down this was this even at ten years old. This was a joke in my house. I like it was a you know a VHS pajama party movie rental, and it was in a pile of. Other stupid stuff, probably like the craft and yeah. and whatever else we were watching. Ah, oh, the nineties. And um and and we rented this, and me and my girlfriends before thought it he, was before hilarious. he leaves the screen. I want to bring your attention to Danny Trejo. Old. Danny Trejo is on screen right now playing uh, this basically no name character. Uh, he's credited as Poacher, uh, and he is escaping what we can assume is the the eponymous Anaconda. Uh, and he climbs to the top of his boat and commits suicide so he doesn't have to suffer the horrible death described So this to hotel, us. Uh, I don't know how to say it, uh, Ariau? Ariau, yeah, you did, You put a little Japanese Sorry. on it. Sorry. Ariau. Ariau, Ariau, jungle hotel. We're just going to skip over yes. the first part. Right, so I looked up the hotel to see if it really was scary water just so you know the water yeah, right what's there is, up with that moment know. it's it's a horror movie thing and the movie doesn't do this a lot but she's sitting in her room and she hears like a monkey scream outside and she looks and then we get a shot of the water and then she goes back to her work and then there's a knock on the door and she's like holy shit there's a knock at the door holy shit there's a monkey screaming holy shit my hot pocket's done holy shit the tea's ready <laughs> I mean, it's but it's stupid scary. because the anaconda isn't over here in this area. No, <laughs> it's like behind the barricades. Right, it's way deep in the woods. But whatever, it's supposed to. And like they don't go back to that moment at all. They don't show us like we had anaconda vision no, for a second not. there. Of course not. Kind of like the you know uh, sleepaway camp killer vision. Yes. Um, or Friday. Th- this killer, movie does have. Vision. Of course, this movie does kind of carry that visual trope of the first person killer cam right but uh, you know it's from an anaconda so like it twists around sideways sometimes yeah, a little bit <laughs> and you're like mm, okay and- I, I think in this i think that the, the the reason is a bit more pragmatic in this because by using the first person uh anaconda cam they can avoid actually showing the anaconda for extended periods therefore reducing their budget i think uh when yeah, it comes true. to the awful awful CG. Hey, it was 97. The, it was 97. It was 97. It was 97 and the rubber snake is cool. The puppet looks pretty good. The head it, is kind of crappy. It looks crappy because it doesn't look that vicious. It's kind of cute and yeah. it's got soft features for yeah. some reason. But like the big the big big rubber snake in the finale, yeah, that's yeah. pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I want that but in you my were house. But you somewhere. were saying something before. Yeah, anyways, so over. this hotel, if it's the same hotel and of course, you know, this is a fiction movie, so Maybe not, but uh, almost the same name is the uh, uh, Ariao 
Amazon Towers Hotel. Yeah, I think it's the same place. I looked it up, <clears throat> and I think it is the same um, place. It is an awesome-looking hotel. Yeah, it is, is an, it is an awesome-looking hotel, but we're not talking... like They're making this look like we're super roughing it here, and we're talking about a hotel... I don't know. With... How, how much could they be roughing it? There's kids in the background with Hawaiian shirts okay, on. Okay, true. Like, this is clearly well, touristy. Well, then, then, then my comment is kind of is kind of a moot point because what I was going to say is that the pictures online of this hotel, which I totally would go visit, mm. but it's like a lot of white people being driven around on tourist boats, of taking course. pictures of monkeys of next to signs of that say not to feed the monkeys. Of course. <laughs> and we're talking like they fold your towel on your bed so it looks like a bird and oh that kind of God. stuff. Yes, yes, of course. But It's but, probably but really nice. It looks like a really nice hotel mm. in the middle of the jungle, deep in the Amazon. Not just in the Amazon deep in the Amazon. And you know what? I don't think the the actual hotel is deep in the Amazon. I think it's just like technically what, What's the name of the town or, or the city Manau? Manau, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's it's in Manau. Okay. Is Manau deep in the Amazon? I don't know. I, I, I think it's it. like maybe it's the impression I got is it's like on the edge of the Amazon there, or it's like right there. Is there any kind of modern civilization that you could call deep in the Amazon? I don't know that much. I'm 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 I, bad, I'm I really, really bad don't with geography. Know much about Now we're the in Amazon a topic that I know all. nothing about. <laughs> People want to talk about Asia and I've got way too much to say, right, but of course. but you talk about South America or or Europe and I'm I'm really stupid. I sound like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I sound like an American. <laughs> Uh, so the, at the beginning, we had Don, Danny Trejo committing suicide, like I was saying, to avoid the terrible death described to us in this opening, mostly useless opening text that says, Tales of monstrous man-eating anacondas have been recounted for centuries by tribespeople of the Amazon basin, some of whom are said to worship these giant snakes. Anacondas are among the most ferocious and enormous creatures on Earth, growing, in certain cases, as long as forty feet, just comma city. They've got they've got to qualify every fucking thing they say. It's sometimes <laughs> they grow this big, but not all the time. But they are ferocious, but they're also enormous. Uh, unique among snakes, they are not satisfied after eating a victim. They will regurgitate their prey in order to kill and eat again. My addendum to that is if they're fucking sick or something, snakes don't just do well, that. Well, let's let's break this down because I did uh, just like when we did the slugs episode. I did lots of research on slugs specifically, so I did a lot of anaconda research okay. this time. Uh, so let's break break down the parts here. Who who worships giant snakes in the Amazon basin? Actually. Uh, Ophiolatreia. Okay. Is that snake worship? Nailed it. Uh, thanks. Yeah, probably not. Um, but I mean, this is something like snake worship. This is something that's bounced back again and again in, in the media's eye, in the interest of the public. Um, we think it's interesting because, of course, we think snakes are evil, uh, either because people are afraid of them or because of like the biblical connections yeah, and there's things like that. Legends and things. So, yeah. so the idea of people worshiping snakes is interesting to us because we find that strange. Yeah, we don't see that as a. a yeah. How can you worship a snake, right? Mm-hmm. So, largely, snake worship probably comes from phallus worship. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. And and a quick wiki search search is going to show you that Brazilian mythology and folklore is just utterly filled with serpentine uh, characters and creatures. So the idea of people worshiping snakes in the Amazon they got, is they got a lot of fucking snakes down there, right? So, exactly. Yeah. So so I mean, just tons of their characters in their mythology are are filled with uh, snake people and stuff, and and also the worshipper 
idolization or at least some supernatural sort of fear of snakes is all over cultures all over the world. Think of all the Native American and Celtic symbols with snakes in them or the Viking snake eye or there's even a Hindu festival in India that still worships cobras. Snake worship is totally normal. Sure. The movie's got that. That's fine. I can buy it. Um, Now, the problem comes when we start actually talking about anacondas, of course. The science in this movie is all fucked. It's completely fucked. Historic. There are historical claims of early European settlers. Let's get this link thing settled right now because that's what everybody talks about when they talk about anacondas. Early European settlers talked about anacondas being as long as like 160 feet. Right. There are the, those are the explorer right. legends. The explorer legends. Yes. Um, but that's basically just myth by now. Then there have been more recent reports of 50 to 60 feet, but those have been in no way proven, and it's probably a lot of like local lore. And stuff like that. There are reliable claims that tell of anacondas being 26 to 39 feet long, but these claims are unofficially documented because they were not made by reputable sources. I think the longest reputable documentation of an anaconda is still just like 33 feet. No, it's way lower than that. Oh, really? It's what super is... boring. You're what is be it? so sad. What is it? 17 feet. That sucks. Isn't that, that super sucks. boring? I, I, the, the number I read was 33. Wiki but, says 17 feet. And now Wiki's not the... Well, it, to answer the question, the, there's a question uh, that was that was posed to us on Facebook by Brian Hoover. And, and both Andrew Gleason and Brian Hoover posed the same question, which is in fact a quote from Sir Ice of Cube in the film. <laughs> uh, and, and the question they ask is, is snakes out there this big? <laughs> and the answer is... Maybe, mm, probably not. Probably not. <clears throat> now, now the ones I'm talking about that are 26 to 39 feet long, these are made by scientists and people like that. It just, it's just not officially documented. Right. So the the boring, boring truth is that the only, the longest officially documented anaconda we have on record is, if Wiki is correct, is only 17 feet long. Wow. Uh, pythons, though they don't. Uh, they aren't as fat <clears throat> and they aren't as heavy as anacondas. They reputably grow bigger than an uh, longer than anacondas, regularly almost 10 to 20 feet mm -hmm. on average. So, uh, and then there was the Wildlife Conservation Society thing. You had mentioned this earlier about yeah. there being rewards since like the early yeah, 1900s. Yeah, 1906 or something like that. Uh, and it's for a zoo. What did you say? No, the one I found was for the Wildlife Conservation Society. Okay. And it's it's for a, it's for a, a, an anaconda that's... More than 30 feet long. More than 30 feet long. And, and it's the, a standing it's a standing reward. Of that like $50,000. $50,000 that's been around since like the early more, 1900s. More than 100 years. Yeah, the early and no one's, no one's fulfilled that. No one's that. fulfilled it because they're not out there, probably. <laughs> <clears throat> now, there is the, in history, the Titanoboa, mm -hmm. that guy that they found, the big, big snake that was like the prehistoric one. Yeah. That was like 40 feet long. They existed. There were gigantic snakes back in the day. Sure. I mean, of course, if you go into prehistory, I'm sure there were some crazy big snakes. But I, d I did not intend to spend this episode talking about snake facts and science. Hey, that's what it's. <laughs> it, but come on, though. We've like, missed so much really good stuff. But yes, no, no. I mean, I think that, that that's interesting because the movie the movie tries to be scientifically accurate or it acts like it's scientifically accurate. And it does that by putting a lot of silly, stupid facts in the mouths of supposedly smart people. And the, the kinds of things that these people say is just ridiculous. I mean, the, the main character I'm talking about right now is who 
Kale, Professor Kale, who's on screen right now, played by Eric Stoltz, uh, proto Marty McFly, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, and the kind of stuff that he's saying, he's saying stuff like right now. I don't know what he's a professor of necessarily, but he co- he goes to say he comes to say at one point that he is very good at finding tribes. So I imagine he's an anthropologist of some type. <laughs> But he also has all this random facts that he spurts out at random times about uh, how fireflies uh, communicate with one another by their flashes. And uh, he has only one real fear on the river, and that's the, the what does he call it, the Andidu Aku or something like that, which is a tiny catfish that supposedly swims up your urethra and like latches onto you, which is only a thing that's been documented to happen one time. One time. One time ever. Uh, I don't you know. Can, he's you can find the clip on uh, Animal Planets. Uh, it's the River it's Monsters. River Monsters episode. River yeah, they, Monsters. they did. They did an episode. And you can on actually that. see the endoscope going up into his penis and seeing the catfish right. inside there. And it's he, pretty horrible. He is like the he is like the worst kind of know-it-all <laughs> where he's an educated person that also acts like he knows shit about other things that have nothing to do with what he's educated in. Yeah, just like in the middle of conversation, he'll be like, oh, and by the way, insert random information here. Yeah, but the the, the opening text is... is no one it, asked. Yeah, no no one asks, and he's just like, by the way. Those are my, those are my favorite kind of people, the yeah. kind of people that just give you information when you didn't ask for it. By the way, I know this thing that I have no reason to know. But Thanks, I really care. Cool, good. Uh, I especially love it when they're wrong. Now, this scene, <laughs> this scene right here is is particularly interesting because apparently Ice Cube's character, uh, Danny, what's his last name? I don't know what his last name is, but his character's name is Danny something. Uh, and he probably moonlights as Ice Cube himself. So in this universe, Ice Cube must exist because he's listening to a, what's the name of the group, um, Mark 10? Mac 10. Mac 10. He's listening to a Mac 10 song. It's called Faux Life. Faux Fo- Life. Faux as, not like as in F-O apostrophe. Right, it's Faux as an enemy. As an enemy, yes. Right, that's right. Uh, and of course, Faux Life by Mac 10 was co-written by Sir Ice of Cube. I thought it was just written by him. It, they were co-written, re, co-written by uh, Ice Cube and Mac-10 together. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of weird and meta. Is it meta or is it just stupid? <laughs> um, I think it's just he was like, well, if you put my song in this movie, then I'll do your movie. Right. Okay. Um, but, I mean, come on. Let's talk about the score in general. Oh, uh, so, it's so repetitive and Randy, bad. Randy Edelman? You know, I was going to look up other stuff he's done. Maybe I'll do that if we get a second. That's it. And then again. And again. Rinse and repeat. And again. And again. It's the whole That's the main theme. You just heard all of it. That's it. And and the thing is, is that there are these moments, there are these like moments that there's like a little bit of like a a Williams-esque Jurassic Parky kind of sweeping thing going there on. There is there's a there's a quiet tight kind of a I think they're usually referred to as love themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is kind of a love theme in this. And that and when there's has a Jurassic Park right, kind of feel it does. To it, right? And when there's a moment like that, they're few and far between. The problem is is that in the end they're poorly pulled off because they're interspersed these these moments of Jurassic Parky kind of uh 
uh, interludes and stuff going on are interspersed with these cliche safari sounding bits like wooden wind instruments like pan pipes and stuff right, like right, that. Right, right, of course. And so it, it sounds cheap and tinny. And then and then you've got, you know, your theme, your main theme, which is just dun na dun na na again and again and again and again and again. And and then you just want to turn off the audio on your movie. <laughs> and that would probably be okay. You wouldn't miss anything really important, I no. think, in this. Um, the, the thing about this, and like we, we've just got another scene where, where Dr. Kale, Professor Kale, I, I don't know. Hey, if look, they're PhD. filming something. <laughs> that happens yes. like two times? I think twice, yeah. Um, where he is, he is kind of, he just got in a dick measuring contest with... <laughs> yeah. With we with the basically the best part of the movie we haven't mentioned him yet, Paul the character Paul Sarone played by God bless him John Voight, who is just doing the worst, apparently Paraguayan accent that you can possibly. I I mean I don't know where he came up with this. I don't know if he studied it or like tried to I spend think time with Paraguayan people. <laughs> I think he just made it up because the thing that that I I saw online a lot is that people relate his accent in this to like uh marlon brando's accent in apocalypse now but i don't think marlon brando really has an accent in apocalypse now having revisited it recently i think they're just looking at the superficial similarities of this movie and apocalypse now like a journey on the river and shit like that uh and and kind of imbuing that on him what i see in his accent is more like al pacino's scarface like a really bad impersonation of Al Pacino Scarface mm. by way of Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> That's what I get. Uh, His English gets better throughout the movie. It does. The first scene that we see him in when they bring him on it's board. Horrible. What's it's horrible. Like? Dropping... I, saw, I saw to you if I'd be trouble for you. Right. He's dropping articles and shit like that and one night with the native speakers and it sets him and straight. And then, you know, he's good to go. <laughs> exactly. He's a, he's like a case study. Suddenly and... he's got like this subject verb agreement going on. Yeah, and... it's, it's, per- it's basically perfect except for the dumb accent. <laughs> but in the beginning, man, that those first few lines. I mean, the, the one thing that I remember from, one of many things I remember from my Spanish classes is that the way you pronounce Paraguay in Spanish or in a, in a Latin uh, language is Paraguay. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying Paraguay or anything like that, he just says Paraguay with a rolled R like Paraguay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, John Voight. <laughs> it's probably wrong. I mean, I think they speak Portuguese in, in, in Paraguay. Uh, and I am I would bet money that they pronounce it Paraguay and not Paraguay. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about J-Lo for a second. Can we talk about J-Lo? Let, let's. You know, this movie starts with two credits. Two credits, Jennifer Lopez and Ice Cube. If your horror movie starts with two credits of musicians turned actors... You're in trouble. Yeah. You're in trouble yeah, already. You've, got, you've already got some issues but going yes, on here. Let's talk about J-Lo. Let's talk about the fact that um, when we start off this movie, it seems to be that this documentary she's she's doing for this professor is one of the first things she's directed. Maybe the first thing she's directed besides some short films that we get that a little bit mentioned. more information later on that makes us think that this is supposed to be her big break right this that she hasn't thing. done anything before nothing serious they never mention it in the movie but all the resources online say that the this crew this 
uh, filming crew, this documentary crew, is actually working for Nat Geo, like National Geographic. Uh, yeah, I read that online too, but I never got that out of the movie. I didn't get it out of the movie either, yeah. No one ever says Nat Geo. Um, well, I don't know how she got a job with Nat Geo if she has zero credits to her name besides some short films. Right. Uh, but, okay, whatever. I don't work for Nat Geo. But... Um, Ice Cube is real excited for her to be directing her own documentary, as he says. And and that, to me, is just like directing your own documentary. That I mean, you can do that with like during your B.A., right? Yeah. Uh, so so we already know she's not really anyone yet. And on top of that, we get the distinct impression that she got this job because the adventurer professor guy, Kale, is into her romantically right sexually they've got they've got a they've got a history he's all oh i wanted the best director and then they're making out like on the second night yeah exactly and he says things like i missed you like they've had a history and they've been apart for some time apparently he knows danny too because he says things like it's good to see you danny like like they all apparently have some kind of connection maybe she was uh studying at the college that he works at uh, yeah you know <laughs> hmm. there there are a lot of there are a lot of possibilities here but and the thing is is that it is completely fine Maybe she wants to get back together with Kale. Maybe romantically, that's that where she that's where she's going, and that's totally fine. But clearly, the host Westridge is not impressed with her. Uh, he makes some belittling non comments, kind of at the beginning. Right. And we're left to believe that the reason she got this job is because of Kale having a romantic or sexual interest in her investment. Exactly. Exactly. He's it's it's uh, like he hiring her is. Uh, Maybe just a means to an end, which is getting back in her pants. Right. And that leaves us with no choice but to feel like her body and sexuality is the reason for her professional success, not her skill or right. intelligence. And this little misogynistic stab is dug right in when this becomes a character trait instead of just an uncomfortable feeling kind of nagging at the back of your thoughts while you're watching. So when Sarone goes nutty at later in the movie, she he, he tries... Ta- he takes the boat hostage. Right, and she tries he to... takes sed- the people on the boat hostage. She tries to seduce him. Right. To get him distracted so the men can knock him unconscious. She kisses him and insinuates she'll do more, directly using her body and sexuality to get what she wants. Exactly, and that's the thing that, that the, the movie, like you said, the movie reinforces this in her character. So it starts out and it seems kind of light and mild where and she you're like, gets... Oh, Okay, right, I she mean, gets hired on. To, she gets hired onto a job where she's clearly had some sort of you know sexual or romantic history with the person who's hired her, and this is how she's going to get what she wants out of life. And then she's in a situation where she wants something else because the situation is dire. And once again, she uses her body and her sexuality to get that. Right, and, and that's a problem. It is. It's a problem. I'm not saying that women don't have the right to use their sexuality to their advantage because they absolutely do. No, but that's her go-to play. Right. That's And the, the problem is is that she is one of two female characters in this entire movie. She is our main character, and and that's what she does. Her her it, We're ruining her credentials. And then the other woman in this movie is sex-crazed, too. Yes. All she does is, is just have almost sex with Owen Wilson. Yeah, the, the, this, there's a scene that we, we missed where uh, we were talking over it where they go out into the woods to capture wi- what they call wild sound, which I just... What I assume is they're going to go out in the jungle and fuck and record the audio from it. <laughs> they sure talk a lot for me. trying to capture wild sound. They do walking through the woods. Wow, this wow, is listen amazing. listen to this. this do you hear great. this? If I was Owen Wilson's... And the, again, Owen Wilson's in this movie and he's 
just Owen Wilson. He is just <laughs> Owen Wilson. He is just the most Owen Wilson you can possibly be. Uh, if I was the sound guy out there, I'd be like, I brought you out here because I thought you were going to shut up. <laughs> we are recording sound right now. <laughs> My parabolic mic can hear you. Uh, so here's here's an interesting image that I think everyone should pay attention to. This is one of two images that is so obviously the Silence of the Lambs. I can't <laughs> believe it. Like it's it's super clearly Silence mm, of the Lambs. Yeah. Uh, there's another shot later that I'll bring up that is so Silence of the Lambs that if I saw it out of context of this movie, I would think that it was actually from the Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Um, but I mean, those two moments are where the connections stop, though, I would say. Yeah, exactly. I would say there's nothing else in this movie really tying it to it. I, I just think they took some scenes out of it, some images. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, James, actually, uh, the other thing, what he, oh, what, what Sarone is doing to uh, Professor Kale right now is an emergency tracheotomy, which is apparently something that you that is not just a movie thing. It's a thing that you really actually can do. That's what I've heard, too. I did some research on it, and after just, like, you know, a cursory 10, 15 minutes of research, I think I could do it. Like, yeah? it, it sounds easy. It does actually sound That's good. That's pretty, good to hear. Pretty easy, so... Uh, if we're ever in a situation where I need to give you an emergency tracheotomy, <laughs> uh, you bet your ass I'm going to try it. <laughs> great. Wonderful. Uh, but uh, as far as references to other movies go or, or parallels to other movies, uh, James Croft on Facebook asked us about the parallels between Francis Ford Coppola's 1979 film Apocalypse Now, which I've already mentioned, and this film. Personally, I, and after he asked that, I was compelled to go back and revisit Apocalypse Now to see if there was something deeper to this than just what was on the surface. And what I find is that any parallels that you could identify are more or less superficial. I think Uh, it's uh, both movies are basically about a boat trip downriver with a clandestine mission for one passenger. Uh, In this case, uh, Paul Cerrone, who is duping all of these people in the case of apocalypse. Now uh, it's Martin Sheen's character. Uh, and there are a couple of other little things like there's a, there's a scene where there's fog and they stop the boat. Uh, and I think that there's a similar scene in apocalypse. Now I don't think it's fog. I think it's like smoke or something like that. But the themes of the two films are totally different, totally, totally different. Um, this movie to me is very clearly about man versus nature. If you want to break it down to like the four types of, of conflicts, mm-hmm. I think this is very clearly man versus nature. Yeah. Don't fuck with nature. Ang- nature gets angry. It will fuck you up. Um, and I don't think apocalypse now is that so much as, as it is man versus man and man versus himself. Uh, well, I mean, this movie does have man versus man in it. It, it does, but isn't I that the it's... real initial conflict is man versus man. What do you mean the initial? Oh, in well, this? In this movie, because they never would have gotten into this anaconda problem in the if first place if Paul it weren't Cerrone. for Cerrone. Yeah, that's and true. And also, it could be man versus machine, because Cerrone, I'm guessing, wouldn't they have d- been d- in this conflict at all if his boats hadn't uh, messed up on him. Uh, Kale does actually say specifically, we're all at the mercy of our machines and stuff like that, which is, seems like about... a very pointed, specific kind of <clears throat> right? line of dialogue. Um by the way, before I get too far from it, we already had the scene where he made the comment about the fish that can swim up your penis. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know why they probably put that in here? Um, because the one documented case of it happened the year in that they made this. Yeah. Yeah. In so, yeah, it was It was news. Yeah. Um, what is up with them not filming documentaries in this movie? 
not filming a documentary. They spend so much time not filming the documentary. Like now I know we're in a situation because Kale is maybe going to die. So we got to get back home and whatever. But before that, they only like all they did was just play golf and dance they did well they filmed a little bit we we get like the they get we get them filming the intro with westridge on the boat and we get them filming trying to film a little bit when they find the totem uh but but sarone jumps in and ruins the shot because i mean they should be filming he's a dick <laughs> all the time yeah, they should be they should be i guess but um i don't know that didn't that didn't bother me it it annoyed much. me they spend so much time drinking and playing golf and stuff like that and and I just keep sitting there thinking you should be getting shots of like the riverside and the water and whatever, nothing. Yeah. Um, one thing that 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 I noticed about uh, John Voight's character Paul Sarone is that he really, really, really loves the idea of the river. In the very next scene after he gets brought onto the boat, uh, and his English is suddenly perfectly fine after you know a scene of dropping articles we've already talked about that uh but the first thing we see him do is catch a fish with a spear like he's sitting up in a tree and his eyes are closed and he lunges down with the spear and catches a fish and pulls it out and he's like fish river style (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know what that means what is fish river style i don't know you mean Freshwater fish? River fish? fish? You mean, okay, like a river fish, that's fine. But river style sounds like a method of cooking. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does sound like a a method of cooking. I'm not sure. But but then he goes on, and at the end of that scene where he's talking about how he studied to be a priest, but no, he didn't fail at that, but he wanted to see more of the world, so he ended up in the jungle uh, catching snakes for collectors and zoos and stuff like that. And J-Lo asks a really rude question to someone they just rescued off of a boat where he's like, I collect or or I I capture or trap snakes for collectors and zoos, and J-Lo's like, poaching? You're a poacher? (laughs) And he's like, uh, poaching is illegal. I mean, he is, of course, a poacher, but that's super presumptuous. Yeah, man. Of right? J-Lo. To, what if to he wasn't that. a poacher? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure he'd say the same thing that he actually said, which was poaching is illegal. illegal. <laughs> uh, but at the end of that scene, uh, someone, uh, he, he mentions the Shiri Shama tribe, which is the tribe that they're looking for to shoot this documentary about. And uh, Westridge, played by Jonathan Hyde, this character here, he says uh, he says that everyone says they've seen the Shiri Shama tribe after five, you know, five whiskeys or so. And, and John Voight's response is, five whiskeys? That's breakfast on the river. <laughs> this guy treats the concept of the river like people who move to New York City like right after high school who can't stop talking about New York City where like you're having a conversation about something totally unrelated and they're like oh yeah well in New York and then they start saying something else that seems kind of related but isn't really it's just another way for them to say hey New York hey New York hey the river remember the river we're on the river I like the river I'm part of the river speaking of the river where uh, we just blew up a wall on the river and my favorite line from this when they got to the wall in JLo, who I guess is now a conservationist or something, mm-hmm. she was all like, we can't blow up the wall because the wall is protecting the ecological balance of the river. So yeah, she she was worried about upsetting the ecological balance of the river. And I'm like, by blowing up a man-made right. structure. No, I mean, how could it possibly be doing anything except for disturbing the ecological balance of the river? Right, it doesn't belong there. <laughs> Um, 
And and of course, it's like the movie's way of insinuating that the wall is keeping out the anaconda. But she has no idea that that that's why the wall is there. Right. Whatever. And also, we saw anaconda attacking the panther or something outside of the wall. Outside of the wall, but I don't uh, see. I didn't even think about that. This this I don't think this movie deserves that much thought. But when you do think about it, you're like. If the wall is there to ostensibly keep out the anaconda, who could very obviously climb over the wall? Right, or around it on land. Right. Anacondas also go on land. They, they do, but something I did read about anacondas that's kind of interesting is that they spend most of their time in water because the buoyancy, like the water, mm-hmm. allows it's them to be more buoyant. It's easier for them to move. Buoyant. But um, uh, if, they, if they travel on land, there is some threat or some danger of their own body weight like crushing them i had read something about that but i didn't know if it was reliable or not yeah i'm, I'm not sure i read that but i found that i found that really I, interesting. i found out that after an anaconda has had a big meal um it can swim just fine but it has a lot of trouble on land Oh, really? And that one of the reasons they might regurgitate food, because this movie talks about, it really villainizes anacondas. It villainizes them so hardcore. It treats them like malicious killers. It talks about, in the opening part, it talked about they're they're the only species of snake that regurgitates its food after a kill so that it can kill again. Right. They will regurgitate their prey in order to kill and eat again. I, I, I... I'm assuming they don't mean kill and eat the thing they've already killed no. <laughs> and eaten. But just because they love the thrill of the Just because they love killing and eating things. So, they throw, so they're bulimic? Right. So they're psychopathic no. and bulimic animals. They're just snakes. Binge and purge. <laughs> but so they, they, they talk about them you know, regurgitating food. And of course, you would mention this too, that snakes you know, should the, only... To, to be fair, the image standard, the beauty standards for anacondas in, in the Amazon... It's true. Are it's really, pretty harsh. Pretty, yeah, very harsh. It's pretty very harsh. High. There's a lot of photoshopping it's, it's going very on. very problematic. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> so anyways, the, the regurgitating of food thing, like you said, it should only happen if they're sick. But I also read that it could happen if they feel threatened... That if they have a really big meal and they feel threatened, that they might regurgitate the food so that they'll have mobility again on land, so that they can move faster. I see. So, the, I think in for this movie, the only reason they bring it up is to set up the one and only time a snake actually regurgitates, mm-hmm. and that's so that we can get a nice gore shot of John Voight, who's partially digested and get, right. winks before he dies like a creeper. <laughs> Um, that's the only reason they do that. But if you take the actual science and mix it with that, then you then you should feel bad for the anaconda because he's only throwing up because he's scared. Mm, that poor anaconda. He's scared, and his babies, her ba- yeah, her babies, are they babies. are real close by. I mean, I, personally, I think the anaconda is the most empathetic the character, the, yeah. victim of, in, the victim of in all in of this. Movie. And also, I mean, of course, we're just going to overlook this, the slight fact that it would take like an hour or more for a snake to to consume a human. Yeah, and not like And that three it would seconds. definitely be dead before they consumed it. This picture is, is some... Uh, oh, that's important. That that is, that is important on some level. And this is where we can start talking about how none of this movie makes, makes any sense. sense at all. Okay, so when I saw that that newspaper clipping, there's a newspaper clipping inside the boat of the poacher who died at the beginning of the movie, played by Danny Trejo, and oh, that's uh, the boat that we're in. That's the boat that we're in because we the newspaper clipping we saw it briefly at the very beginning when he was oh right we did? before he died. Yes, Could, couldn't it have been a different a, like the same newspaper clipping but a different doubtful. Okay. 
<laughs> I, sure. I mean, yes. I, but why per, don't they find the body Newspapers are mass produced here. and the circulated. The anaconda ate it? Uh, yes, I imagine the anaconda ate it okay. after he killed himself. All right. Um, so Paul Cerrone finds the newspaper clipping that's got a photograph of uh, him, the poacher from the beginning, and another man who looks... It is definitely him. It looks like Mateo, who is the captain of the boat. It's not that it looks like him. It is 100% okay. him. It's probably him. It's 100% it's him. It's probably him, but because it's him... None of their plan makes sense. Any now, sense. Later in the movie, J-Lo makes, uh, makes Cerrone admit that he set this whole thing up. And she mentions some things. She says, you set up Mateo. You set up your shipwrecked boat. Uh, you know, you, you set up uh, all of this stuff just to take our boat and go catch an anaconda. And he's like, well, you forgot about the wasp because apparently he also planted a poisonous, deadly wasp inside a scuba gear. And thing. that's how Kale got stung by the wasp. I, I want to see the scene where he planted the wasp because that sounds difficult. Yes. <laughs> to, to say the least, but that aside, if you can suspend your disbelief for that, then you have to start asking questions like, why did they do all of this in the first place? Right. Well, okay, so first we have to talk about the fact that the main question is, we saw Mateo, it is definitely Mateo, it is 100%. And we saw the wink between Mateo, not the wink, but they give each other a look when Cerrone gets on the boat and Mateo looks at him and they share share a look for a moment. Okay. Um, Mateo... this is... This is our our first first anaconda. Okay, take note, we are 40 minutes into this movie and if you don't count the prologue death... And the prologue death never counts in a horror movie. This is <laughs> 40 minutes into our movie is our first death. That's wrong. And our first like real shot of an anaconda. Too. And our first real shot, real shot of an anaconda. That's not how you horror movie horror movie. Yeah, totally true. Just so you know. Uh, and apparently anacondas have a very, very knowledgeable, like uh, a very detailed understanding of human anatomy because it went right for like the head and neck, yeah, like grabbed like Mateo's head, his twisted neck. his body and broke his neck. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, then. Vicious killers. But let's talk about why this movie doesn't make any fucking um, sense. So, so Mateo, the picture is of Cerrone Mateo and the guy from the beginning holding a big snake together. Uh, Mateo used to hunt snakes with Cerrone. That is, I am 100% convinced of that. They have also ruined a boat out here past this wall where the first guy died. Um, and the question leads to uh, this. This can only lead to the question of what is Mateo doing on this documentary boat? There are only two possibilities. Possibility one is that Mateo quit working with Cerrone and that he's doing this documentary gig to make money or whatever and and that it wouldn't be crazy to presume that that might have had something to do with the dangerous giant anaconda that Saron is obsessively seeking. Right. And when and when JLo says you set up Mateo, it leads us to believe that it's, he definitely right. was working with him still. Well, it's vague enough that you could either you could either take it as Oh, true. It's vague enough that you could either take it as you set up Mateo to be the captain of our vessel so that you could work with him or, or you set up Mateo's to death. To kill him. Right. right. Because in this moment right here, he kind of was like, "Hey Mateo, come on." Yeah. Like he knew and Mateo doesn't help him search for his gear on the boat or anything. They have no talk together. Like there's no secret wink of like, "Let's go get our supplies." Or anything i don't know but the thing is is that he knows it's a poacher's boat because 
Sarone, of course, would know that it's a poacher's boat. So if he's working with Mateo, it would make sense that he would ask him to come along. And then Danny's the one who actually acts out of character in that scene where he says, I'm going to get this on film. And but it doesn't feel like Mateo and Sarone are working together it when they're they never, on the they boat. They never do anything that makes you even when they're feel alone. They don't have any moments no. together. And this whole interchange going on, this whole exchange going on right now with Sarone, I mean, he is acting like he really doesn't care about Mateo dying. That's true. He acts like he set this up. He should be really irritated and that the, his ally... The Denise character actually says something about it that imparts that kind of influence mm-hmm. onto the audience where she she says she says something like, I'm not so sure that, that Sarone didn't eat Mateo himself because he looks awfully safe. You mean Sarone didn't eat Mateo? You mean the anaconda didn't eat Mateo? No, well, I, I think that she was implying that, that there, was a, there was a line said where Sarone... Uh, where some, she says, I'm not so sure the anaconda... Didn't. I thought I thought she was making a joke about no okay no all right I thought I, I thought that's so. what it was but okay but but she says he he sure looks satiated that's the line he said I didn't eat the Captain Mateo that's the line she's referring to he he just said I didn't eat the Captain Mateo and then Denise this character later says I'm not so sure he didn't eat cap the the, the captain because he looks awfully satiated I thought she's already she's, she's already said the line no she hasn't she says it in a second but she's implying that he did set up his death or that he's happy about his death. I think she's already said the line. Okay. I don't think before, she has. Before, before he said, I didn't eat the Captain Mateo. It's later, I promise. But go okay, ahead. Okay, whatever. Maybe you're right. Uh, but either way, the point is is that it really seems like like Sarone uh, doesn't care that Mateo died. It even seems like maybe he set up Mateo's death with the anaconda somehow however that however yeah i don't know how you do that (laughs) um but but the point is is that uh that likely when when j-lo later says that you set up mateo because it's it's so vague in the way she says it right it likely isn't that he set up mateo's death with the anaconda Okay. I'm not so sure you're he right. didn't eat the captain. Yeah, you're right. You're the winner. I'll give you well, you know that's star. what happens when you're uh, always right. It gets uh, kind of boring being always right. God. Oh my god! This is what you get when you listen to a married couple movie <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Continue, sweetheart. Um, the point is, is that that the only two options are that either Sarone set up Mateo's death somehow with the anaconda, which really doesn't make sense that, but that Mateo had quit working with Sarone and he'd set up the death or that when he refers to setting up Mateo, what he's talking about is the more logical thing, which is that Mateo was part of the act from the beginning that from the moment Mateo got on the boat, that he was still working for Sarone. But why doesn't that make sense? This doesn't make sense. If Mateo, in fact, did not quit working with Sarone and is still working with him, uh, it it doesn't make sense because we don't understand why they needed Mateo to get on the documentary boat. Why do they need this in the first place? I don't know. I the, mean, they, I think that they they probably hired a captain because, like, assuming that there are no no you know kinks in the works, there are no problems. You hire a captain to take and his boat that he owns. But first, why do they need the boat? So because their boats are broken. Whose boats? The Cerrone and Mateo and their third guy. Their but the boat that he was standing on that they found him on was broken. And then the boat that the first guy was on was broken. Right. Okay. Well, that that's one thing. What I'm talking about is the documentary crew hires Mateo 
un, not knowing that he's working with somebody else entirely. They just hire him as a freelance boat captain who owns his and own a guide. vessel. And a, and a guide who knows the area. And they all have their own jobs to do, like host and sound person and producer and all that shit. Uh, and then they ride down the river and they end up picking up Sarone the first day, whose boat has has uh, been shipwrecked. Uh, they bring him onto the boat and then Sarone and Mateo are working together because they've set this all up. But why they have to do this in the first place is kind of a mystery because if Mateo owns his boat and Paul Sarone his boat is broken and the third guy that they work with who died at the beginning, his boat is out of commission too. Mateo still has a boat. Well, we have to assume that the boat that they're driving the documentary crew on belongs to Mateo. We've got to assume that. Because right. isn't that how it always works in the movies, right? Like you don't hire a boat. You don't rent a boat and hire drivers separately. You, it, It's a shitty boat. It looks crappy. It's owned yeah. by some local fisherman or something. Right. And that guy is going to be the one who drives what it. What is the, what is the point of having the documentary crew on the boat if the if Sarone and Mateo's goal is to capture the anaconda? Just to have people get in their to, way? To, to use a documentary crew as bait? To have them film them catching an anaconda? No, but that, to that, kill them that, off they don't, for fun? They don't want that. No one ever suggests that except for like Owen Wilson's character. Owen Wilson's the only one who's just like, we should totally film this guy catching a big anaconda and salvage this thing. And Sarone's fine with that. He's like, yeah, I guess. I just want to catch the fucking snake, right? That's all Sarone wants is to catch the snake. The other the other big problem that comes from this, so there's, there's this huge thing of why why do they need the documentary crew on the boat if Mateo already has a boat then he should just go get Saron and they just go kill the anaconda but why do they need the documentary crew on the boat that's the big question the other question is they hired Mateo as a guide not just as a driver but as a guide so let's say he doesn't own this boat okay Mm -hmm. and he's just going to guide them out there this is their way to get a boat and that he's going to guide them out there um why doesn't he just guide them to the anacondas? Because in the end, that's where the Shiri Shama tribe is anyways. That's true. That ends up being where they are. So where the anacondas are and where the Shiri Shama tribe are are the same place. And that's where the documentary people want to go. Why doesn't Mateo just guide them there? He guides them away from there. And then they have to double back and come up with crappy reasons. to. They have to almost kill somebody to go the right way. Mateo could just be like, hey, I'm your guide. Here's where the tribe is. And he wouldn't even be lying. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> he would be telling the truth. So what, basically what, we, what, we've, what we've established is that none of the motivations of our main like antagonist, Paul Sarone here, none of them make sense whatsoever. It, it makes no sense that he is doing or approaching this thing the way he's approaching it at all. No, it doesn't. It's completely confusing. Like it sounds, it sounds all movie dramatic to be like you set it up from the beginning, but then you're like, what? Why? The only way that it, the only way that it makes sense is if Mateo and him were not working together, and if they just happened to stumble upon him, and he wanted to get Mateo out of the way because he wants the boat to himself, and he's just gonna take the people hostage. And you know, if Mateo deal with and that. him were not working together, it makes some sort of sense except then we have the question of why didn't Mateo out him yeah if Mateo quit working with Sarone then he probably quit because Sarone is crazy and obsessive for a giant snake yes and Mateo should you know whisper to somebody and be like hey we gotta kick this guy off the boat because he's gonna get us all killed and he doesn't so uh we totally missed completely blew over the hint for uh 
for last week, which was a shot of the jungle as they're approaching the poacher's boat that they go investigate. Uh, Andrew Gleason on Facebook got it, and he did not have a plug except for our show, Popcorn Poop, so <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and uh, uh, rbrogan27 on Twitter also got it right, but he did not have a plug either. But uh, good job, guys. Good eye. I. I, I couldn't do these <laughs> these hints that I put up. I could not do them myself if I oh, saw I them totally unprimed. Yeah. Um, so there was a line a little bit ago when when um, Sarone was trying to convince Owen Wilson. I have no idea what Owen Wilson's character's name is. Uh, uh, it's uh, Gary. Okay. Gary Dixon. All the characters have last names. That's good. For no reason. I'm just going to call him Owen Wilson. So that's, that's a good yeah. When good. when he was trying to convince Owen Wilson to um to to turn against his comrades and and catch an anaconda with him, the line he says this is right after Mateo died, which we get this weird impression that maybe he somehow knew he was going to die, or maybe even killed him, somehow. or at least he's happy that he's dead. Yes. Or doesn't care. Something. Yeah. But he says. Sarone says, you need a partner to catch an anaconda. Right. And I'm like, uh, like Mateo? <laughs> you mean the one you've worked with before? Who the one with experience? snake hunting partner? Has a, probably a really impressive CV for this specific kind of thing. And and see, that's the moment where I'm like, no, they were definitely working together then. He, he, he didn't, he didn't. Oh, it's so stupid. Yeah. So, um... Oh, and then the, also they the they make the big speech about helping out Sarone. Owen yes. Wilson makes the big speech, and it all makes sense and he, for a minute. He also gets a uh, he gets a, a freaking uh, a dubbed over fucking into freaking. That's, oh, that's the second one that I've noticed in the movie. The first one is delivered by Jonathan Hyde when they blow up the dam or blow up the wall, and the snakes fall on the boat, and the little snake starts biting his finger, and he says, "Get this thing off my freaking hand!" I don't. I don't think British people say freaking all that much. No. I think he'd probably say bloody or something like that. Yeah. Um, and the second one comes from Owen Wilson, who says the line, the line ends with something, something common freaking sense. But it's obvious that he's saying common fucking sense. Um, anyway, so Owen Wilson makes a big speech about how they should trust Sarone and they should help him catch the snake and it all makes fine sense and I can understand where Owen is coming from until all of a sudden Sarone pulls out a gun and almost shoots Ice Cube. Right. And then you're just like uh and Owen Wilson's just like yeah see He's we like, got to listen happens. to him. That's what happens. That's what happens you know I, I decided to team up with him so we're just going to take you guys hostage. And it's like, it's like well, what? Dude huh? you're, you're banging one of the people on this boat. These are your friends. These are your colleagues and, and your friends. And this is some crazy riverboat guy you just met. Yeah. <laughs> he has a creepy ponytail. And, and he keeps winking at people. Yeah it's it's not he's not cool. <laughs> and you're not cool for agreeing and, with and him. And he's just totally cool with still supporting him. After he almost shoots his friend. Uh, speaking of the word fuck, Ice Cube gets the honor of our one non-sexual PG-13 fuck. And that's when Paul Cerrone shoots a monkey out of a tree and Ice Cube says, the fuck are you doing? <laughs> it's great. It's exactly what oh, you Oh, so, so when it's when it's a sexual fuck, then it's really no-no? Oh, you, can, you can't do sexual fucks in a PG-13 period. Like... Fuck you is okay, but I'd fuck you is no. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. Yes, it is very stupid. Uh, speaking of the monkey, having the monkey 
get spit out of the snake's mouth into Jonathan Hyde's face, Westridge's face, mm. is just schlock gold. Yeah, it is. It is fucking gold. Um, let's talk about, I, I think, uh, the same guy who's been asking a few questions, James Croft, uh, also asked about the snake's voice. Oh, yeah. Performed by good old Frank Welker. Frank Welker being a, le- I, I think you can safely say, legendary voice actor who's done... I mean, he's got such a huge, long career. He's got hundreds of, of credits and lots of things he's done that he wasn't even credited for. Uh, probably most famous for like being Scooby-Doo uh, for many, many years. Also Megatron uh, in the Transformers cartoons. And uh, also just a ton of animals and shit. He's the go-to guy for if you need some weird, random animal creature, monster, pig, mutant noise or something, Frank Welker will do your voice for you. And he does the voice of the snake in this movie, and it's, well, it's it's peak Frank Welker. It's just lots of kind of pig squeals and hisses and shit like that. <laughs> I can just imagine him in, in the sound booth just screaming into the microphone <laughs> The guy in the booth, like, we got it. Yeah, that's perfect. It's perfect. That's exactly what a snake sounds <laughs> one, like. One take, Frank. <laughs> um, so we had some really stupid moments there when they're, uh, for instance, when they're trying to fight the giant anaconda, they try to kill Sarone at that moment. And I'm just like, no, guys, I think the bigger threat here right now is that there's a gigantic anaconda trying to eat all of you. Yes. Let's not kill Sarone right now. And then, uh, Proving furthermore that she certainly is not a character surviving by her intelligence, Sarone screams, don't move, and J-Lo immediately turns around and runs away. None of the characters in this movie are particularly smart. I'm thinking specifically about the scene where Sarone goes onto the poacher's boat and finds a box of what he calls treasures, and he calls them treasures to hide the fact that he found a bunch of poaching gear. Uh, and he asks Ice Cube to help him get it off the boat, and as they're pulling it into the water, Ice Cube says, be careful, I put my camera in here, indicating that Ice Cube also saw what was inside the fucking box and has nothing to say about Sarone taking poaching gear. Yeah, nothing. And, and oh, Sar- that's normal stuff. Sarone is still trying fish, to play it river cool. River fish, river yeah. style fish. At that point, Sarone is still trying to play it cool and not like act, not trying to act like he's got any ulterior motives about catching a fucking anaconda or anything like that. So none of the characters in this movie are very smart, which is kind of which is actually a hallmark of bad horror movies is very very stupid characters, even ones that are supposed to be smart, like Professor Kale. Well, I mean, J Lo's supposed to be smart too. Later, right, Sarone yeah, yeah. says to her, "He's like, oh, we, you're really we missed, smart. We missed the shot. It was right here. The shot right before this, where she's putting on the oh. lipstick, is." Just, I mean, it's right out of the Silence of the Lambs. It's one of the shots uh, with one of the earlier shots with Buffalo Bill putting on makeup in the mirror, and it's a little round mirror that just shows his lips, and it looks, I mean, it's it's the exact same shot, really. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is that I don't know what the filmmaker's trying to say by drawing a parallel between Buffalo Bill and J Lo's character in this movie. <laughs> I'm not sure what he's going for there, so. Reach out to us, Mr. Yosa, if, if you'd like to defend your stance <laughs> or explain it at all. Not even defend it. Just well, no. If Mr. Yosa is going to talk to us, I'd really like to know about Mateo. That's my real question. I have a lot of questions. Um, but, but yeah, Jayla is supposed to be intelligent because at the end, Sarone says something to her about, you're really smart, but can you survive out here without me or something like that? And I'm like, when? at what point did we decide she was really smart? 
I mean, both of the women in this movie are overtly sexualized mm-hmm. and stupid. Denise dies by... Ha- by not having the guts to kill Sarone. By walking up to Sarone and, I mean, he's tied up and he strangles her to death. Right. by And all, simultaneously saying a prayer. Yeah. We which pulp you fiction or something Yeah, here. it's kind of got a Boondock Saints thing to it. I, Boondock Saints, I don't think it come out yet. It was like a year away or something. Maybe it was about the same time. Um, yeah, kind of, I don't know. That's another cringy thing. Uh, John Voight is 100% cringe in this movie. 100%. Mm-hmm. Just everything he does, the little... Little, little baby bird. Oh, my God. He calls he calls Denise little baby bird. And doesn't he call J-Lo baby bird, too? No, he, call, he only calls Denise little baby bird. Okay. And he does it three times. <laughs> the first time he does it is just totally... Oh, here it, we go. Here's so, J-Lo seducing. Right. To- totally inexplicable. It's when he's when he's cooking up the fish river style, <laughs> and uh, she says, "So does salad go well with fish river style, Mister Sterone?" And he says, "Salad will be perfect, little baby bird." <laughs> if you ever call me little baby bird, we're gonna get a divorce. That's fair. I would want a divorce. <laughs> I would. I would need to spend some alone time after that. What's up? What's up with J Lo in this scene and being like? I was thinking about the myth, and oh that's all God. she says about the myth. That's it. That's it. She, it goes she says nothing else. What what myth? Are we talking about the one that he connected to the wrong tribe she, of people? Right. And Westridge comes in after hitting him with a golf club saying, asshole in one, which I know he's just been keeping in his pocket <laughs> for probably months. He thought of it on a golf course one day. He's like, I'm going to say asshole hey, in one hey, one day. Hey, hey, hey. That is our one through line in this entire movie. We saw him golfing for most of the movie. That's true. And then he uses a golf club Westridge, to hit Cerrone. Westridge is my favorite character because I, it's an example of a character turnaround that works more than anything else works in this movie. He gets on that boat and he's complaining about the way the, the dock hand is handling his bags. He's saying that he's got Bordeaux and expensive wine and yelling at the person because they are not a native English speaker and all that kind of stuff, which is shit that gets to... That's- us, you know, yeah. specifically in a very special way because we've lived as foreigners for some time now. Uh, and he comes onto the boat as the typical uh, kind of wound up too tight uh, British douchebag. Um, and then the last, the, the scene where we really see him as an empathetic character for the first time, he's, I mean, he's funny. Uh, and he certainly, uh, I think, delivers the best performance of any of the actors in this movie. Yeah. Hands down, the yeah. best performance. Uh, he's a whole lot of fun. And and the scene where uh, Paul Cerrone asks him to take his bags up to Paul's cabin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a turnaround on the scene where he arrives on the dock and asks Denise to take his bags. And she says, I'm not a, I'm not a boat dock. I'm, I'm the producer. That's not my job. Right. She says something along those lines. And we're like, oh, man, he's such a douche. And then when he refuses to take Sarone's bags up to his room and, and do the same thing, then Sarone slaps him in the face and puts a gun under his chin. Mm-hmm. You feel bad for him. Right. You're like, oh, he's he's an empathetic character now. I feel for him. He's not the douchebag anymore because Paul Sarone is so much worse than he is that I kind of like Westridge now. 
by comparison. Right, and then he becomes their comrade and dies for them. And exactly, et cetera, and, et and from that point forward, he's to, like he's teaching Ice Cube how to drive the boat now. <clears throat> oh, by the and way, they're going to have like a little moment of levity where they're ta- going to talk about what they miss from civilization, what they're going to do when they get back, and. It's West- actual character it's, development. It's real, right. yeah. It's real character. Westridge is is great. I like Westridge. Is a lot. he the only real character in this movie? I, I, is he the only dynamic character in this movie? I think so. I think he is. Does anybody else change in this movie? No, not no. I don't think so. I think J Lo's exactly the same at the beginning, and the end right. of the movie. I mean, to be traumatized is not to be a dynamic. No, character. that's not to change. That's, that's not just to same. be traumatized. Yeah, to have gone through something. Now, if you go through something and then you're a different person because you went through something. Well, of something, course, that is the very definition. That's change. But, um, but I don't think she's any different at the end of this movie. But yeah, Westridge has already gone. He's gone through a complete change and we, we see him now being a friendly, you know, uh, forthcoming type of character that we can relate to. Ice Cube goes to being a little tougher than he was at the beginning, maybe? Uh, mm, I guess. I, he's kind of painted it, it, as a it's coward so, of It's so some... random, though, when he suddenly starts to man up. Like, there's it's not... Really not... A, there's not really a point in which he does it, which is why him wanting to go, like in the scene where Mateo dies, him wanting to go film them looting the poacher's boat... Right, it's just like, what? Feels really out of character. It does, because... and then after that, they just keep up with that. Yeah, where he's just like, oh, he's gonna be... He's gonna have agency now. And he didn't before, and, and that... I mean, that is character change but by definition you know he's a he's acting like a different character now he's his his uh his traits are different the choices he makes are are different but but there was no it felt unnatural it didn't feel like there like was a reason because he wasn't even doing it out of the dire necessities of the situation he was still doing it for documentary purposes it 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 just didn't fit so whereas with west westridge it we actually see it happen. We see it made and the change made and we understand it. By the way, if Westridge knows how to drive a boat and this boat, in fact, did not belong to Mateo, then why did they hire Mateo to drive it? Because, it's not like Mateo no, has been hosting a documentary. I, I, He's just been I, no, golfing. Okay, well, that's that's a different thing. But what I was what I was saying earlier on is that assuming that this production doesn't have any issues or problems or kinks, you would want to hire a boat captain to just be the captain and everybody else is doing their job mm-hmm. on, on yeah, the, and also on the as a guide, you don't that ha- could lead them straight to the anaconda. Exa- right, right. Also as a guide, but you don't want Westridge being the host of the show and the boat driver. <laughs> but like I said, he doesn't host the show. All he does is just golf, so it doesn't matter. It does kind of it, it does kind of come out of nowhere that he also knows how to drive the boat. Drive mm-hmm. the boat, yeah. Uh, and he says it's like driving a Cadillac, something or another. And and you're just like, is it really? Is it because? <laughs> Because I, 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 driving a Cadillac's like driving any other car, and then when he explains to Ice Cube how to drive the boat, it doesn't really like, sound like driving a car. That's not how we do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how we do it at all. That's, I don't turn off my car when I start to feel worried about the direction it's going. <laughs> if I if I tried to pull that that many levers and stuff like that, and to go faster, I would probably turn on some windshield wipers and indicators, and then get in a car accident. <laughs> So no, I will keep that in mind when I in- inevitably get inside uh, a Cadillac one day uh, to not take Westridge's uh, driving lessons. Oh, to heart. here's the moment where Denise is going to die. Yes, in this scene, uh, this Bye. moment right here, where he 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 does the, I firmly resolve with the help of Thy grace to confess my sins, uh, to and to amend my life. Amen. 
uh, what did he says? Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus. And I only read that because we've got the subtitles on, and without the subtitles, you can't understand what the fuck he's saying. No, that's totally true. And between his terrible accent and the struggle, of, and of it the wasn't situation. until that moment where I was like, "Why is he? Oh yeah, he said he was a priest. What does that have to do with anything? What does it matter? I don't know. He he does it. He does it a little bit earlier too, after Owen Wilson's character dies. Why does he need to be a priest? What did that have to do for his character whatsoever? So that he could say I prayers when he kills people? I I guess like Owen Wilson's character. Dies and he says some perfunctory words that are clearly just in, intended to be brief. Uh, I don't know. It's it's so strange because if you if you take what he says about having a partner to heart, uh, which you probably shouldn't, um, because he's he's the bad character and he's probably lying. But um, if you assume that he really does need a partner, and he started with Mateo and then Mateo died, and then he convinced Owen Wilson to be his partner, and then Owen Wilson died. From that point on, he's just like, I guess I don't need a partner. He doesn't no, even it's, try. It's okay. He doesn't even try. Uh, unless, of course, he doesn't need a partner. Mateo was never in the works to begin with, and he just needed Owen Wilson to help him take the boat. That's what I, I think that's also possible. Also, at this point, didn't they only have one day of fuel left like two days ago? It feels that way. I don't know. The, temporally, I don't think this movie works terribly well. I don't. I, I don't understand. But I think the we've at least we've at least had because they lost the fuel on the day when they were at the wall and they blew up the wall. Well, the there are some shots of the boat where the the fuel tanks have magically reappeared. Oh, are there? And some of the wider shots of the boats moving down the river after the maybe the fuel there was like a scene where they got they got some fuel. And they just... Just a missing scene. No, no, because it, it, it disappears and reappears. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's Be- good. Because it's a it's a bad movie, Jessica. Um, uh, Before... Oh, I love this moment where he's going to be like, the dart! And he, like, calls it out loud. Calls the dart out loud. Yes, that is, that is a great moment. There's their one barrel of fuel that clearly has nothing in it based on its... Uh, the weight of it visually. Uh, this gun they have is um, also a magic gun. It's a magic gun that never needs to be reloaded, never needs to be cocked, even though it is a bolt-action rifle. When they fire this weapon, they just fire it like a semi-automatic. I'm not even a gun person. Like, I don't know about guns, and I know that much. Um, and here's Westridge's death scene. And this is kind of... This kind of proves that, that at least somebody, at least... The screenwriter knew what they were doing with Westridge because as soon as his arc is complete and he has made his complete change... Then they kill him. Then he's done. His character is finished and they kill him. They knew exactly what they were doing with his character. So it's like like one person wrote Westridge and then someone else just like filled in the pieces around the rest of the story. (laughs) Right. Let's just put some other characters here. And you've got Eric Stoltz still laying in the... This must be the, the, uh, the, the easiest paycheck that Eric Stoltz has ever picked up. Oh, yeah, because he sleeps for half the movie. Ever for anything. Most of the movie. Except for maybe the week that he worked on Back to the Future. Maybe that was a pretty easy paycheck because then they replaced him. Poor guy. Um, before, uh, before we get to the end of the movie here, let's talk just for a second about the, the tribes and stuff. Okay. So the Shiri Shama tribe that we're supposed to be looking for, the people of the mist, is of course fake. It's not a real of tribe. Of course it's fake. And it is also to be noted that when she is researching things on her computer earlier in the movie, on her computer, I guess it was based on an earlier draft of the script or something, but the tribe that she's researching is the Shamatu, 
maybe they changed the name or maybe it's intentional. I'm not sure, but but mm. she's not looking up stuff about Shiri Shama. She's looking up stuff about Shama too, also fictional. That's great. Um, they talk about the legend of the Maku. That's apparently what what uh, 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 Paul corrects Sarone on when Sarone is... No, no, no. no it's, it's Kale. Kale, uh, Kale corrects Kale, Sarone. Kale. Yeah, Sarone, Sarone, Sarone talks about the, the legend where when they get to the waterfall, they have to go past... They have to get past warrior snakes and they follow this giant wall that blocks out the su- sky. They follow it for five days and at the end of it is a giant snake's head. And Paul says that that is the legend of the Shirishama. Kale, however, knows the legend, and he says, "Yes, it's a beautiful legend. I love it, but it's actually a the mock- legend." That's a, one of their 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 uh, wonderful dick measuring scenes. Where yeah, like, the legend is actually a Maku, I believe. <laughs> it's actually the, legend, the, of the legend, legend of the Maku. Now, here's the thing about um, Maku. Maku actually is a real word. That's a real the dart. I just had to throw that in there. The dart, and then he falls in, and then and then Ice Cube has to be like, "The dart fell out of his back." Yeah. And it's like, thanks, I saw that. <laughs> and besides that, I would have expected that he was going to Michael Myers it anyways. Um, but also the fact is he's been tranquilized and he just fell in the water. There's he's also, definitely going to drown. There's also a bit, yeah, definitely. There's also a bit of uh, R-rated business that I think we we missed out on because when he grabs Kale by the throat, there's just a, just a few frames of it, but you can see like a blood squirt, like squirting out of his neck that they <laughs> cut away from. And I... I guarantee you, in an R-rated cut of this movie, there's a close-up of that that thing squirting. Oh I man, I would have liked is. that. But go ahead, continue. So about the, the legend, Maku. the Maku, the Maku is the name for all nomadic hunter gatherers living in the Northwest Amazon basin. Right. All of them. Right. Which would include the Shirishama. So w- yes, it would, and. What would make that even a better, more hilarious dick measuring scene is if he finishes the legend and Kale is like, um, yes, but I believe that that's actually Maku and not the Shiri Shama. And instead of Paul doing what he does, which is also Shiri Shama, <laughs> that's his response. It was, it's also, but it's also Shiri Shama. He should have come back and been like, uh, well, yes, but uh, Shiri Shama, as it turns out, are Maku because Maku describe uh, all indigenous peoples of uh, North Amazon Plains. High five. I mean, they high five myself. They really <laughs> just like opened an encyclopedia and were just like, "Where's a tribe name?" Okay, Maku. That sounds good. Yeah. Like it. It really was just nothing. Now, but just like random facts here, uh, Brazil estimates sixty isolated populations living in the Amazon, mm-hmm. and some of which have never ever come in contact. Well, with- and. Anybody. They have a policy of not contacting the tribes, but they guard the land that the tribe that the tribes live in. They guard the land around it so that right. their ways of life are not disturbed. And this leads me to a question that could and probably should be a part of a movie that's dealing with finding a lost tribe, but of course has nothing to do with this movie and they don't go anywhere near addressing it. But is that right? Is it right to guard the land around where the tribes live so that no one continues to come in contact with them? 
it's kind of like lying to them and pretending like the modern world doesn't exist when it actually does exist around their world. But we're just letting them stay in this bubble and just pretending like like keeping people well, out maybe, of it so that they won't. Maybe, well, I mean, but but as it's what it sounds like is that it only goes one way. And it's probably more about uh, it's probably more about an ecological conservation thing than it is about keeping the real world from these people or something for, you know whatever kind of motives, selfish motives that someone might have for that. Well, for I, I don't, I don't think it's, or whatever. it's a selfish motive. I think it's, it would be more the opposite. It would be selfless, but to like, let these people continue their way of life undisturbed. Right. But, I think it only goes one way though, is that's what I'm saying is that if these people were to venture out on their right, own, I'm sure, I'm no sure. one would stop them from seeing the real world. I'm sure that's true. Um, uh, but anyways, this movie... Not the real world. Everything's the real world. The outside the, world. Right. The outside world. The modern world. Um, uh, but but what's uh, you know awful is that this movie is dealing with that topic directly. This movie is dealing directly with the topic of finding an indigenous tribe that's lost, essentially, that's never been contacted or has barely been contacted, and going out and filming a documentary about them. And of course, you know, there's no, we don't touch on that. I mean, of course we don't touch on that, but, no. but, but it should be, I'm just saying. No, definitely. Um, I, I want to ask, what is this place that they're at right here? Because it looks I, like an old lumber yard. It's, it's something, right? Like, I don't know what it's doing in the middle of the jungle, but they come across it and JLo says something to indicate that there was some kind of maybe struggle here where she finds a gun on the dock leading up to this like lumber factory or you know lumber house or whatever mm-hmm. i don't even know what you call it um well and then when we find the human bones pooped out by the anaconda which is not says, how oh and my God. a when snake it's it's inexplicable digest like he, the bones when he picks up the when he picks up the powder he's about to do it here in a minute when he picks up the powder and says it's the human bones this is how they come out i'm like come out of what what is i don't know what you're implying here because it's just it looks like chalk dust well snakes poop dirt they poop uh dust do they do they just fart clouds of dust just <laughs> so we like just a had cartoon. a carry moment here with some monkey blood oh nice pull carry we just dumped a bucket of monkey blood on jayla look human bones it's it, that, that's how it comes out no it's how, not that's how it comes out of what watch this little cross he does in the air what's that <laughs> <laughs> what's that john voight I think he just threw that in. He was like, I think that's uh, I think that's what he would do. But yeah, no. Snakes, I used to be a priest. Snakes so. digest all of the bones because that's calcium and stuff, right? Like yeah. it's. As far as I understand, they're not like owls or anything. They yeah. Don't, they don't cough up pellets or anything. Only if they have trouble digesting something, do they cough something up, or like I said, if they're they feel threatened or whatever. But I think this is um, this is supposed to be an old lumber lumberyard. But what's Interesting to me is that I guess these are supposed to be human bones because we're supposed to believe that the anacondas fought the people here. Yeah, maybe. Oh, um, man, I, I'm really sad that we missed it because I would have drawn the listeners' attention to it if they're in fact watching this alongside the movie uh, or listening to this alongside the movie. When the boat backs up away from the waterfall that they get stuck in, the waterfall is reversed like it's flowing upwards because they didn't think to shoot a shot of the boat backing up out of the area so they're just like we'll just reverse one of our shots of it pulling up and getting stuck 
It's the same thing. The funny thing is, is that I did that exact same thing with the very first short film I ever made in college ever. A movie that I shot on like a Kodak still camera that didn't even have an onboard microphone. So it was like a silent film in like five megapixel video or some shit like that. I did that shit. First short film. (laughs) This is ostensibly a real movie. It's a Hollywood movie. This is a Hollywood picture. I don't think there's any excuse for that. None whatsoever. This whole scene, speaking like that moment right there with the ladder, this whole scene feels so Hollywood action scripted. Oh, this yeah. This whole battle sure. with the anaconda. It's like, like I can see the set, you know? Like, it's one of those scenes where I can figure out how they did all of the yeah, shots because is... it feels so, the ladder falls so slowly. I feel like I'm watching like one of those, you know, uh, like when you go to Disney and you watch like the Indiana Jones exactly. stunt, this, stunt movie This looks things. like, this looks like where you would wait in line for a ride at Universal Studios. Yeah. Yeah. Inside this lumber building. You'd walk through with yeah. a bunch of people and look at all the stuff. And if you were out. watching a little show, it would be in there showing like how slowly the ladder falls and how best shot in the movie right here. Yes, that is this the best is shot. the one super creative, really fun shot in the entire yeah. movie. With the snake eating Cerrone alive, I will say, oh, which yeah. would tear up the snake if a person was kicking and moving around oh, inside yeah. of a, it. A snake a snake would never eat anything without without determining that it was 100% dead because they risk injury to themselves. Right. I mean, if you kicked hard enough, you could kick through the snake. Yeah. Snakes are delicate creatures. And when they eat, it's like a very sensitive thing. It's not like humans or in like other animals. They have a really primitive digestive system. Yes. It's it's a straight line. (laughs) Like that's it. It goes in one end and comes out the other. That's it. There's not really a whole lot to it. Um, yeah, we've got we've got some of the first person cam right here, swerving around, saving some saving some 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 scratch, without having to actually show the monster. Don't have to actually show the snake. The CG in this movie, and I, I know we've said this before, is really really bad. That puppet doesn't look too great right there. No, it doesn't. That's CG that's right CG. there, and but that did before, not look great before either. Before it was when it first stuck its head in, it was a puppet. But here's a here's a wink, and I think that. There's the wink. Oh my god! And then he dies. It's it's terrible. Um, it's just too much. And I think he only winks one other time in the entire movie. And I think in order for you to sell that as a thing that he does, you gotta have him do it like at least one more time. Mm, yeah. He did it once before. So when he dies and then he winks like pre-death, I don't know. I it's not like oh it's he's still himself even in death. No, it it doesn't really work. No. You need one more good wink in the and movie. And it's also just awful he gets There's to say he, he calls denise baby bird three times three is kind of the magic number you set it up you give him you give it tw- twice two times makes it a character trait and then the third time is the payoff that's it right baby bird gets it although baby bird is a stupid fucking terrible stupid line that's just laughable all these contraptions to hold the snake still here in this moment so so he he slams the snake with a pickaxe and is pinned it to the ground but then the snake is gonna wiggle free and get out and then he's gonna get like this clamp thing that's chained to the wall and grip the snake like that and the whole thing and he's setting up all these explosives and stuff to blow up the snake and yeah what 
I know that they're like in the in the heat of the moment, but there's information and stuff presented in this scene that I don't understand why it's presented to us. Like she finds the the baby snakes. She finds the nest of baby snakes and she runs out and meets back up with Ice Cube. And she's like, there's baby snakes in there. And he's like, okay. And she says, I'm going to climb up this chimney. And he says, okay. And then he decides that he could maybe blow up the snake. So he's like, I'm, I think I could blow it up. So you hurry up and get out of there. And she's like, okay, light it because I'm at the top. And they do all this stuff. It's like all the decisions they make. Granted, in the situation, it would be like that. But their last minute, like all last minute decisions, like but oh, it I'm feels suddenly like it was going... it was scripted last minute too. It's I think is what you're minute. is what you're really getting at. Exactly, here. exactly. And like he's suddenly like, oh, I think I can blow him up. Okay, blow him up then. Uh, but what about the baby snakes? You mentioned the baby snakes. You showed us the baby snakes. What about the baby snakes? Is that Nothing. part of your plan Nothing. now? Are you... I guess to let us know that it was a mother snake. Which which, which does would what? be a more ferocious and larger snake, but the it, movie never tells us that. That's, they, that's, that's true. Not we're info not, they give us. We're completely ignorant to this. But the more ferocious and the most the ferocious. most ferocious and dangerous snake is clearly the fire attribute snake <laughs> that we're watching right now. It has an incre- not as in like an on fire snake, but like as in its Pokemon yes, you know, it's element. A fi- yes, exactly. You can capture this and train it and fight. Other uh, similarly elemental, elementally attributed. It doesn't do very well animals. against water snakes. It doesn't. In fact, the water right now is fucking it up pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> just regular water, not even a, not even like a water monkey or anything. Just right. regular, just regular water. water. Except um, it's not going to fuck it up too bad because uh, we're going to get a. Well, it's a horror movie. You got to get the one. The you got to get the one more. The one more. He's got to. He's got to come back one more time. One last time. Because it's a Michael Myers snake, I guess. But the 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 thing or a about, zombie snake, you've got to blow it up in the head. The thing about this movie is that it is called Anaconda Singular, but there are at least two anacondas in the movie because J Lo kills one uh, to the chagrin of of John Voight's character Sarone, and then this one comes around and they just killed this. Now, the sequel, as I understand it, is called Anacondas, mm-hmm. Search for the Blood Orchid or something like that. Um, yes. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I heard that in Anacondas, the, hunt for the, blood the hunt for the Blood Orchid, there's actually only one anaconda in the movie Anacondas. Well, I mean, there are still multiple anacondas, but they all do the same thing where they attack one at a time. Oh, like in this movie. Right, just like in okay. this movie. So this movie should have actually been called Anacondas. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, Anacondas. Also, apparently the in the sequel, uh, its big sin is that it takes place in Southeast Asia, not South America. And there are no anacondas in Southeast Asia, well, the, the, as well as parrots or monkeys or any of the other animals. Well, this movie has a movie. Has, has a similar kind of uh, geographical uh, sin in that there are no wild boars in the Amazon. And Don't you think you would like look that up? It should be easy, right? 97, the, the internet was around. Yeah. Uh, there's also Anaconda 3, Offspring. Days, David Hasselhoff is in that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Then, then there is the fourth one, which is Anaconda's Trail of Blood. And that's followed by the Lake Placid versus Anaconda movie. So if you're a wow. fan, fan of the See, Lake Placid the franchise. Sequels, the sequels sound like something that, I would, that, that we might stream because uh, we've started doing streaming. Uh, you can actually... 
we're we're gonna well, there's no set schedule but we're gonna probably do it on weekends only but uh check out our website there's a little tab called that says live and uh check out our our facebook and our twitter feeds and all that kind of stuff and we'll be making announcements about when we do live streaming movies which are going to be 100 percent like schlock terrible bad worse than this like worse than like anacondas and the stuff that we've been doing this month worse than the stuff that we'll be doing uh we'll be doing uh next month once we announce uh the theme for next month which we'll do here in a minute oh we missed the shiri shama tribe i did want to say one thing about them finding the shiri shama tribe mm-hmm. um first of all the shiri shama finding the shiri shama tribe is fine i think but I don't like that they film them at this point. I think that the better ending for this movie is a more bittersweet ending where after all that they've gone through, after all the lives lost and all that kind of stuff, the hope of even salvaging this project is the farthest thing from their mind. But they get to see them at least. They right. see them, but they don't film them. And they're just like, there they are. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Not, a, not, not an inch of footage, not a foot of footage, nothing. Just they see him and they're like, okay, well, they're out here, but other things have taken priority over this mission. Mm -hmm. But instead, they bust out the camera and start shooting. Yeah. Well, documentary is saved, right? Right, Right, I guess. Um, Yeah. And and one of my big things throughout this whole movie was just like, why do we have to shoot snakes in the head multiple times? Like, that's the only way you can kill an anaconda is you have to shoot it in the head multiple times. Apparently. Uh, and I'm just like, man, I've, you know, um, I'm pretty sure all you got to do to kill I've never killed a snake because actually I like snakes a lot. I think they're really cool. I'd love to have a pet snake one day. Uh, but I'm pretty sure all you got to do to kill it is just chop it somewhere. Yeah. Anywhere since it's I, just a long line. Again, they're pretty fragile creatures. <laughs> Even if it's big. Yeah. I mean, there are axes and stuff all over the place in this movie. Just hack it. Definitely. Yep, that's Anaconda. That's a bad movie. Uh, Two things that are good about this movie. Uh, Westridge. I like Westridge. Uh, And I also like the fact that that two of the three surviving characters are people of color. Yeah, true. That's kind of a, that. that's kind of a, uh, a subversion of what you've what unfortunately people come to expect from horror movies. And this is a movie that's oh my god, eighteen years old. This movie's oh. eighteen years old. Oh dear. My goodness, I feel old. Um, so yeah, so I guess we will uh, we'll wrap it up there. Unless you have a last word. No, you're good. I'm good. Okay. I'm good on Anaconda. We're good on this month. <laughs> okay, let's. Uh, but it's been a fun month. It has been. It's been great. Uh, now that we've reached the end of the movie, we'd like to read a five-star review that we received on Stitcher. And this comes from Spooky Scully with the subject line, Awesome Listening. This podcast is one of the best movie podcasts out there. It's an entertaining, delightful listen and can be the perfect companion to a film or just by itself. I prefer watching it with the film as it makes it seem as though I'm watching it with friends. The podcasters are friendly, casual, and provide interesting information while relating it to their own lives, which is what everyone does when watching a movie. They cover a variety of genres of films such as family, thriller, horror, drama, comedy, sci-fi, and anime. I get excited every week when I see a new episode, and so will you. 
Thank you very much. It's nice. If you'd like to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher, we'll read it on the show. And remember, high ratings equal exposure for our little podcast, so we really appreciate those five stars. As always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. Please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook if you'd like to receive updates about the show, including our weekly movie still identification game. If you have a question, comment, or movie request for us, you can reach us on our social media outlets or by emailing us at thepopcornpoops at gmail.com. May 13th is Dustin's Happy Bee Day. It is. So he gets to pick the theme. Dusty, what what do you want to do? Well, I I had so much fun this month doing bad horror movies. So I, I decided to continue the, at least partially continue this theme of bad movies. But May's theme is going to be terrible movies that we loved as kids. So... Yeah, that should be a lot of fun, right? Yes, it should. Uh, And the first week is my choice, and I'm going to kick it off with Brian Spicer's 1995 film, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Oh, God. If you have any questions about that movie or related topics you'd like us to discuss, please contact us through social media or email. Thanks for listening, and until next time, take care. Bye-bye. We are the Popcorn Poops. Hey there, movie fans. This is Honor Knight, your head cinematic flusher from the award-winning Soiled Restroom Cinema podcast. Each week on SRC, myself and co-cinematic flushers Congo Rilla and Natalie Grace scour the bowels of Netflix, Voodoo, Amazon Instant Video, and YouTube to bring you the absolute worst in streaming movies that Hollywood has to offer. So when you're done pooping in your popcorn, head on over to SignalsOfFury.com and listen to us play with some cinematic turds for a while. We're here to flush it so you don't have to see it. <laughs>